So I think this episode is a really good time to introduce our brand new segment. Brand new segment? Mm-hmm. Witch Dad Watch. It's a segment that shows mm. up whenever we see Ralph <laughs> Innocent in a thing. Did you that confirm that it was him? Oh, confirmed. Confirmed. Did you Google confirm? I think that I did, in fact, Google confirm. Listen, Ralph Innocent is a guy who we noticed when we were watching The Witch for the first time last Halloween, and he has been showing up everywhere since then. He was in The Last Jedi, he was in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. It's like he's sneaking up on he us. He is absolutely sneaking up on us with his incredible Northern English accent. Oh my god, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. He was in this. He was in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He played the sheriff who was going to hang James Franco. He's in Ready Player One? Yes, he played the uh, asshole uh, boyfriend of the mom. Oh my god. uh, He is everywhere. Where did he come from? And whether or not it is in what we're watching, from now on, we're going to have a witch dad watch every time we see him. He's in the British office. Yes, I know, and he's in Game of Thrones. He's everywhere. Ralph Innocent is one of my favorite actors, and he is everywhere and we're gonna note it every time from now on this is now a ralph innocent fan cast no hi i'm john and i'm bethany and this is Home Viewing. A podcast where we watch all the DVDs and Blu-rays in our library. And also, <laughs> some of the digital movies. And really, a lot of times, just... No, the magic is that they don't know that it's not in our library because they can't see our library. Well, most of our library... I mean, I don't think we've watched anything outside of our library yet. It's all been something that we own on DVD or Blu-ray. And I think we watched... The one digital thing we watched was Frozen, but that we've watched enough that I would consider that, even though it's on digital, in our film library, you know? So, well, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's digital media or physical media, because we own it, and we are able to stream it at will whenever we would like. So we could call this the Not Pirate Podcast if we wanted to. We could call it the Not Pirate Podcast. But we like pirates. We do enjoy pirates we enjoy space pirates too space pirates which is why this movie is a good one for us because it is about some erstwhile space pirates occasionally still space pirates also kind of superheroes called the guardians of oh i I couldn't i was teeing you up The Guardians of the Galaxy! I forgot that they were all together a team thing because they'd never establish it as a name. Because unlike every other Avengers movie, we don't have to be like, and now we're called the buddies. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It is it is Ronan who like names them, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, they're never like, oh, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like <laughs> They say that later on, like in but- the other movies. But never in this one. Yeah, that, that wasn't, like, the goal of this movie. See, I feel like this is, you know, your prototypical team-up movie, but at the same time, it's an origin story at this, mm-hmm. uh, for all of them as well. So, yeah. like, we don't necessarily see all their in-depth background stuff, which they get more into in Guardians 2, which is a weaker movie. Kind of. In my opinion. Um, Let's not go They get into yet. their background trauma. But um, this one, this one I liked it because unlike... 
the Avengers where everyone is perfectly competent on their own, mm-hmm. none of these people function unless they're together. <laughs> like, oh, no, I, I legitimately cried when they finally, like, were c- coming together as a team because this this movie is about what you can accomplish as a group when you're even when you're dysfunctional as an individual. <laughs> that's what it is. That, that's what it is to me. That's what it is. Even when you suck, if you have a friend that also sucks, sometimes you can be good together. <laughs> this movie is also visually very interesting too, though. This I remember this came out a little bit. Um, well, this came out the year before The Force Awakens. This is definitely the first like um, Disney like Avengers slash. Anything of that nature that I was like, oh, this is okay. Yeah, I remember because we saw this in theaters. This is the original one, but I'm like, oh, maybe maybe this is going to work out since they're hell-bent on doing this for the next decade. <sighs> At least. Next century. Well, back then it was, you know, halfway yeah. through point, oh, I guess. Oh my gosh. We saw this in theaters um, with friends. In Augusta? In Augusta. Yeah, in Augusta at the Evans uh, oh. movie theater. Yeah. You're a- do you, okay, do you actually remember all these things, or is it your memory filling in? It was the day of your graduation party. What? Yeah, and we wanted to finish up your graduation party because we all wanted to go see Guardians it of the Galaxy. It was in August? Yeah, and we saw it with my sister and your maid of honor. Really? Really. Sarah was there? Sarah was there. I don't think so. I'm telling you. I really don't think so. I'm pretty sure Sarah was there. I think we were like, hey, do you want to come along to this? And she was like, Sure. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this is a movie that I got super hype for. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I had start... I don't know, I had heard of the concept and I was like, wait, Marvel has space stuff? I mean, I knew vaguely about it, but then I started reading the comics before the movie came out and I started um, getting into... The, uh, the lore of the different characters. Because um, I remember I, I heard about the concept and I heard that Chris Pratt, who we loved back then. Rip. Rest in peace. Um, who, uh, who Now I, you're a right wing asshole. Yeah, who who I loved when he was on Parks and Rec. Um, at playing yes, and I was like, everyone Wait, did. This guy's going to be a superhero. This is going to be a fun time. That, that was my immediate thought process. And also the concept of a talking raccoon. I was just like, well, yes. You know, the more I heard about it, the more I was like, this could be a lot of fun. It's in space, and I love movies set in space. So let's check this out. Couldn't relate. I couldn't relate at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for that one Star Trek movie with the whales. This is also yeah. a Star Trek whale movie uh, fan cast. Yes. Star Trek <laughs> Voyage Home. <laughs> this is a. This is a fun movie, and it is a movie that has its problems, like every single movie that we watch. With a few exceptions, Roma can do no wrong. Um, I'm sure we could find something about every movie. (laughs) Um, let's start with what worked. What worked for you? Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper! I have seen it posited that this is the best performance of Bradley Cooper's career. His continued work as uh, Rocket Raccoon. And, you know, I just, I just, just going to be a little, a little honest right here. Hey. Be, what? 
Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> just want to take another look at you. Just want to take another look at you. <laughs> I don't even know what I've seen. You know, I've, I've, I've seen a star born. You know, do a little bit. A little it's bit not that rain. murky. It weighs high is about this murky. What? Why, why'd you look so good in those jeans? <laughs> I think for my money, I think Bradley Cooper, I think his best role is Rocky Raccoon. I think he's better as Rocky Raccoon than he is as Jackson. Nathan. I, I think, I think this Rocky mic Raccoon. probably just picked that up as... <laughs> I think he's better as Rocky Raccoon than he is... In any of the David O. Russell movies that he's in, I think he's better. I don't even know what movies he's th- in. Well, uh, you know, um, the the one with Jennifer Lawrence with the dancing, Silver Linings Playbook. Because uh, that could have been like, oh, actually, I thought, we American haven't Hustle. seen that one in a long time. Well, I, I thought it was a good. Okay, movie. American I Hustle. Is, I think this is better. I think this is better, even though he's not. It's a different in it, performance, but though. But the voice acting is so good. It is so. I mean, good. this is his only voice acting, though, right? Well, I'm sure he's done other voice acting. I mean, seeing like Ice Age or something. He seems like that old. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think maybe the only performance sorry, Bradley. That, I think <laughs> you are old. This is this is no offense to Bradley Cooper. I think that he's more interesting as a comedic performer than he is as a dramatic performer. Sometimes, which is why I think this that Wet Hot American Summer was also a really good performance from him. Oh my god, he's gonna be in Joker. Oh my god, he is. I mean, that makes sense because De Niro's in there and he works with De Niro all the time now, so. I don't see him in any other, like, voice acting roles. I think this is the only one. Everything else, he plays a slightly handsome man. A handsome rogue, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really plays those, like, roguish kind of roles, doesn't he? Well, because if you, if you line him up next to, like, the other classically handsome people, he's not, like... There's, the top there's something puppy. a little rugged about him. Yeah. Which he somehow is able to bring that energy, even just through his voice acting, to this role as Rocky Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon. It, I've listened to Rocky Raccoon too much. Rocket Raccoon. Rocky Raccoon came into his room. Well, I think you've also just been uh, watching Great British Bake Off. <laughs> I Yes! Oh, this season is simul... Is it's well, delightful. It's quite a simulcast, but if it is If you're not like watching it, you should go watch it. Releasing weekly on Netflix. Yeah, as a podcast that advocates watching media where you can without pirating it, this is a chance to watch it almost at the same rate that people in Britain are watching it. So, like... Almost. It has to like get across late. the pond. Yeah. yeah they, they, you know, they put it on a boat. The gets... transatlantic cable is slowed <laughs> down. Because <laughs> if it was on a plane, it would be here the next day. Mm-hmm. Same day. Six hours later. I think Zoe Saldana does a good job in this, too. Zoe oh, Saldana yeah. has a talent for being in the biggest franchises of all time. Yeah, she's she's also sneaky. You'll be watching and you're like, why is she here? But she's around. She gets around. She, she makes money. She <laughs> definitely makes money. I mean, every moon makes money compared to... Yes, this is fair. <laughs> Vin Diesel, very good in this movie. Doing, um... A friend of mine who saw it, who was a big fan of the Iron Giant, he's like, this movie is the second time that Vin Diesel, through a voice acting performance, was able to destroy me with just one line. Because in you know in Iron Giant, it's Superman. And in this, it's We Are Groot. Which is... Damn, that man is talented. Yeah, and he did all the mocap, too, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. So. Well, I th- yeah, I think they all did, like... 
Uh, Dave Bautista. I think this might have been his like first serious acting role. But how did they make like... how did they make Vin Diesel so small so that he was Baby Groot dancing? <laughs> uh, I think this might have been Dave Bautista's like first non WWE acting role in like a major motion picture. <laughs> and now he's getting cast in Dennis Villeneuve sci-fi movies. Really? Like, yeah. No, he was in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He's the uh, big replicant uh, that Ryan Gosling. I couldn't, I couldn't make it house. through that one. Well, he's in like the first ten minutes. And I think then, I think I want to try it for like the third or fourth time. We should probably like, watch the first with Blade maybe Runner. with like more people, so I have to commit to it. <laughs> like, there's other people that came to watch this thing. Well, I'm excited because he's going to be in Dune, along with the entire rest. I of don't Hollywood. know anything about like Dune Oscar other than Isaac that it is a book. Timothy Chalamet and yeah, no, what? Ev- everybody is in Dune. This is probably Oscar- going to be. Very disappointing. Oscar Isaac is playing. T- it's Dennis Villeneuve. He made Arrival. He made the. He made Blade Runner twenty forty nine. This is going to be really good. Also, not okay. We're going to talk more about Star Wars. We're going to talk more about George Lucas in this one, but not to shit on George Lucas, but to shit on him a little bit. The entire Tatooine aesthetic was essentially lifted wholesale from Dune. The entire, yeah. like, desert planet yeah. aesthetic. I could just see how that... Just straight up, like... I've listened to, like, the first few hundred pages fair, of Dune on to audiobook. To be fair, if you're gonna build something in the desert, there's only so many ways it can go. <laughs> but, like, the still suit... The Tusken Raiders are just wearing still suits. That's it. But George Lucas's influence is certainly felt here. In this movie. Something I liked was the constant, like, callbacks to Star Wars. To... Uh, Empire Strikes Back, in particular. The big projection thing the really hit it on the nose. Including, the, like, the guy who had shown up previously in Avengers, but looked exactly like Emperor Palpatine when he gets yes. the holographic projection in uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. It was just like, oh, yes, it is, it is in fact a space movie. This movie was the one that gave me the confidence that I was like, okay, Disney can make a Star Wars. Disney can make anything. Well... Because the visual effects, though, that's what really got... The way they made space look in this... Like, I know Star Wars is mostly just big feels of stars and stuff, but this one really... <laughs> well, this one really, like, captured, like, the nebulas and the planets and, like, every location in space, every different shot in space. It wasn't just a giant field of stars. Mm-hmm. Everything looked unique and had There's, like, cotton candy it. clouds. Absolutely. Oh, it was... This is a visually stunning movie, I would say. And I think... Oh, I love this opening scene with the ruins. The, uh, the They, like, showed modern super tech space. They showed gritty, um, you know, smugglers space. And then they had, you know, the ruins, the ancient ruins where uh, Peter does the hologram. And you can see the, uh, the uh, little girl with the dog and everything. Mm. And then Peter dancing through the ruins. Yeah. Great opening credit sequence. And I really appreciate that because I feel like the opening credit sequence is something that a lot of Marvel movies are really lacking. They just throw up the title, you know? And they just and it's all that. And this movie, unlike some of the other ones that have come before, this is the first one that I really felt kind of stylistically independent. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of other movies, the main character doesn't spend a lot of time alone. Yeah. Where this one, you have him, just him, going through these ruins, and then other parts in the movie, like, he's clearly doing some, like, honestly personal, like, introspection introspection which doesn't like usually you jump in oh this is this person and then bam 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 and that's the rest of the movie you see what's so interesting to me about starlet as a character and this carries through with the comics too 
is he is the ultimate little kid power fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's like the little boy who wants to be a space hero, and he's, he's Shazam living through it. in space. He is actually. <laughs> And because he was abducted at such a young age, he's still a little bit frozen in that mentality. You see, if I had come up with an original character to play, like, on the playground, like, when we were, you know, playing space games and stuff like that, it would have been someone like Star Wars, like an intergalactic... Star-Lord, like (laughs) Star-Lord, an intergalactic gunslinger who feels like he's been taken directly out of the Star Wars movies, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. He he feels like Han Solo, but more immature. When when did these comics start coming out? Oh, these comics have been coming out since, like, the 80s, but this modern interpretation of Star-Lord... So, like, the comics itself, I mean... Reflect the time, absolutely. The the modern interpretation of Star-Lord really started in the 2000s, I would say. And, like, the, the stuff that I've been reading is... But, I mean, so it probably is a projection of, like, Star Wars then. Yeah, absolutely it is. And it's interesting because... And we see a little bit of the Nova Corps in here because the, uh, the other major, like, Marvel space hero from Earth is Nova, a.k.a. Richard Ryder, who is kind of like a Green Lantern in that he's a member of this, like, intergalactic law enforcement force who's been gifted this great power that he's supposed to use to protect the citizens of Earth, but also nab intergalactic criminals. Peter creates a contrast to that because he is straight up an outlaw. Like, he's like, he will do good sometimes, but he's, like, looking primarily to benefit himself. I do wish it was tied to Earth a little more. Yeah, I get that. Like, all this just happens. Like, why did he come to Earth to pick up Peter? Well, like you said, his dad had him pick him up. His... He had a smuggler pick him up? Yeah, that's that's what he said. His dad... But that can't be true. It is. It is? It is, yeah. The other... Co- so, the comics continuity that was going at the time, Peter was actually the son of, like, an intergalactic emperor. Yeah. Who uh, wanted to get, you know, essentially a... I don't remember... Depending on the continuity... His mother is killed by alien invaders, essentially, is what happens. Um, and it's unclear as to whether the Emperor sent them to get rid of his, like, shame and his, like, uh, material, or if it was, like, the Emperor's enemies who are, like, trying to kill him. Either way, Peter doesn't have a good relationship with his father. Like, doesn't know who he is for a while, and then eventually, even, like, when he, like, wants him to be the Lord of Spartax, like, the heir to the throne, he's like, no, you're a bad person and kind of a war criminal, so no, I'm not going to, uh do what you want me to do. Like, that's... Peter's entire character arc is, like, trying to do the best he can with what he has. But because of the situation where he grew up among space pirates, he's not really able to do that. Which is why it made me so mad when everyone just hated Star-Lord after Infinity War. They were like... What What happened in... He, uh... they They say it's his fault. He got too emotional and he let Thanos get the better of him. And I'm like... That's his character. Yeah, that's his character. That is what he does. That is... Star-Lord is emotion, and that's why I love him. Oh, I have a lot of feelings about these characters. I have a lot of... No. They're all... No. Because, like, (laughs) let's let's be honest. All the Avengers have something that is broken about them. We, We can agree on that. But these... But that's not made obvious from the beginning. They're all meant to be, like, projecting this kind of ideal. This one is about people who are explicitly broken outside and in, mm-hmm. you know? Which is why I think the uh, the Blue Swede scene, when they're uh, going into the uh, into the prison and it's soundtracked by Hooked on a Feeling, and you see, you know, Peter getting, like, 
hosed and then you see rocket scars on his back i think that's why it's so essential this yeah you see him really like focus on rocket scars like what what the heck has this space raccoon been through this movie is pretty good at showing instead of telling i think Mm -hmm. um and there is like a lot of exposition too like that's like delivered in voiceover and it's written well unlike a lot of the other avengers movies like it's witty the other ones are like all super serious. Just straightforward. And when they tried, like they it, tried it's like a very specific. Ju- I mean, no, I mean, Avengers and Age of Ultron, both of them were written by Joss Whedon. So it was that very like hokey, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of wit, mm-hmm. where it was like all wordplay and not necessarily like dramatic irony and stuff like mm-hmm. that. What I feel like, I feel like this does a good job of, jo- I mean, jokes per minute, first of all. Yeah. But also, like, keeping you emotionally invested in the characters because you see the issues that they have. And some, and like I said, sometimes it is just them saying, this is what happened to me. Yeah, because it's, it's like a stark contrast from, like, Captain America, the first one, where it basically is just a um, Tom Cruise action flick the whole time. Well, you're thinking... You're thinking... The is second, it the second one? Yes. You're thinking uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. The one where they, like, get on the boat and they do the fight thing. Yeah. The second, it, it, yeah, it do, and that one does take a lot for Mission Impossible, including like the mask and everything. Yeah, like, with Black Widow. Like now that you've seen more of the Mission Impossible movies, you can kind of understand what it was mm-hmm. going for. Whereas this one is like halfway between like, which I think that one came out around the same time as this one, right? Um, Rogue Nation. Yeah, Rogue Nation would have come out right about. No, I meant the Captain. Oh, Captain Winter Soldier. Yeah, Winter Soldier came out like I think, but also maybe Rogue two Nation. years before, maybe one year or two years mm-hmm. before. Um, and then this one, um, oh, I had a point. Guardians of the Galaxy, like, and every Marvel movie, like, in the later stage is in some way a takeoff of another movie genre or in some way, like, a pastiche of that, right? Like, because if we look at Winter Soldier, like you said, it's a, it's a Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. If we look at Ant-Man, it's a heist movie, you know? But if we look at this one. Oh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man is fun. It was fun until the end. <laughs> Which then they ruined everything by trying to make it some physics nonsense. You hate the quantum realm. I hate quantum everything. And if you researched quantum, you would understand why. (laughs) It's stupid. This one, I would say, really is a takeoff of A, a Star Wars movie, but it's also a Star Trek movie at the same time. You know, the special oh, the keep, like the the different um the alien cult, design yeah the alien design the, is very Star Trek yeah because it's all it's all like practical effects and makeup mm-hmm. and, like, different skin colors that's where they got lazy in the second one well I I agree because it in the second one they all stayed in one place whereas mm-hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy are more much more interesting yeah there's a lot more movement in this know, one in the galaxy yeah we're not doing the second one because it sucks. We don't. I didn't buy it because I was so. Bored. We will never There's, buy it. There is one good sequence in that film, and it's when the chain plays. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac is the best part. Isn't of that it. Like the opening? No, it's the end. Oh, it's the end. It's the end when um when he's like uh, when he's got superpower. That's the other thing too. That's the problem with the second movie. Star Lord doesn't need superpowers. No. no. The point of Star Lord is that he is just a human. He's a MacGyver. He's not quite a MacGyver even because he's. He's just, he just finds shit. He's got and skills goes and he uses... Well, he has the mask. The mask. And the mask is cool and the rocket boots are cool and the guns are cool. Like, that's that's what's fun about Star-Lord. Not that he's super-powered, that he is the... Is who he is. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's like it is his normalcy that makes him the appropriate person to be in these intergalactic situations. He's the one who's bringing the human perspective. That's why I hate at the end of the movie when they're like, yeah, the reason you were able to hold the stone for so long is because you're only half human. I'm like, no! The reason he was able to hold the stone for so long is because he's half... is because of that half that is human. Humans are resilient. That's the thesis of the superhero world and like the Marvel universe is that so there is something about Earth that produces these heroes at a bigger rate than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. There is something about human tenacity and human ingenuity that makes them the people that need to stand in front of these intergalactic threats. And that is why I love it. That's why I love it. Because heroes have always been meant to inspire humans to be better than they are. And that is what this does. Oh my gosh, there's other stuff that works, but like, I feel like I need to go to the concession stand just to <laughs> calm down. Well, let's go grab a popcorn. Hello, my name is Britty. Hello, my name is David. David, if you could rename a yacht, what would it be? Mr. Yachty Yachty, with the big botty botty. I like that. That's a very creative name. You can hear answers to all kinds of icebreakers like these on Time Zones Are Hard. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Damn, boy, my yacht is thick. No! <laughs> In. Out. Don't blow your air over here. Listen, I need to do I need to do my calming breathing exercises. Whatever. <laughs> I was talking about how this movie is kind of like a Star Trek. Specifically, it is like the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek. All the dogfight stuff and all the space battle stuff. Did you say 2009? Yeah. That's when the first J.J. Abrams when the Star first... Trek came out. That's what? when we first had Chris Pine as Captain Ten Kirk years exactly. ago? Ten years ago. Jeez. Yeah. Which a lot of people were like, this isn't a Star Trek, it is in fact a Star Wars, and it's J.J. Abrams auditioning to do a Star Wars, which <laughs> we all know how that worked out. But there was something that happened in a, with a lot of the camera work in this movie that reminded me of that. Whenever there were dogfights or like aerial battles or something like that, the camera would be tracking and then it would zoom in on one spot just so that we got to focus on that one vehicle. Whereas Star Wars, what we got was a lot of tracking shots and quick cuts to symbolize the dogfights. This ha- this tracking shot with a zoom, that's straight out of the J.J. Abrams playbook. So, that that was something that was... It felt like it felt a little bit like James Gunn was quoting J.J. Abrams like visually. And I, I liked it a lot. Because that was, I think, the first real like sci-fi adventure movie that we had had since the Star Wars prequels came out. Or like... At least, like, Whoa! Like, that's a statement. Well, it, I don't like, know about that. Well, it had been like four years since Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, but there's gotta... So, so that was the influential, like, big space and starships, like, adventure movie that had come out and that we were thinking of at that point. Hmm. I feel like we need to go back and look at the 2000s and We see. do. That was the one that everyone remembered, though, and the one that everyone lined up to go see. That was the big franchise movie of the time. Sure, Avatar yeah, came big, out, but it was well. That's but it, not. But it wasn't like a star starships and like space true. battle thing. You know, that was the the influential space movie. Wally, that that was the influential space movie of. The- <laughs> um, I, and I liked that a lot. I I thought Benicio del Toro's like ten minutes of screen time were excellent. He always gives his all. 
Turtles. Oh, Revenge of the Sith was 2005? That late and that bad? Yes. Well, the uh, problem... The problem so there really was- wasn't a gap then. I, I was like, oh yes, all the prequels happened in 1999 no, at the was, same time we got it all over with. 2002 so 2000. 2005. Oh gosh. Yeah, exactly. So sad. I'm so glad I missed that. I am too. I don't, I don't know if I ever would have gone back to Star Wars had I seen them in real time. You already mentioned the writing. Something it did. It did a lot with like payoffs for earlier jokes, like a, a Digimon Hatsu, Hansu playing Kor- Korath um, is the first one that starts. What did you just say? Digimon Hansu. That's the. Uh, oh, I thought you said Digimon I, Hatsu. It did sound like Digimon <laughs> Hatsu. Like, what are you talking about? Well, that is his. That is this man's actual name. So let's. No, I. It's your fault for saying it disrespectfully. Um. He, him uh, playing Korath, I, I like the payoff where he like. Which wants, one is Korath? Uh, the uh, the the leader of the Sicarian, so like Ronan's enforcer, basically the the soldier. Oh. He's the one who first runs into Star Lord on Morag, and the one who later on, when he sees him, is the one who finally refers to him for the first time as Star Lord. And Peter's like, finally, and it's like a nice little payoff to that joke there. Um, and I think a lot of really good work there. Lee Pace. Excellent, bringing that deep voice gravitas to Ronan. Man, mm-hmm. yeah, it. You mentioned that it was really sad that they killed Ronan because they could have done a lot more with him. Because he is, he is more like interesting than Thanos in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like if they were going to continue the Guardians of the Galaxy as a good franchise, they would have kept him in it. Absolutely, they could have like they could have taken the stone without destroying him completely, you know? But that's that was the problem with a lot of the Marvel movies is they had to be like, no, we're going to kill this villain now. Which is I not how it goes. And it's not how it goes in comics. No. Because the villains have to stay around because it's serialized. Yeah, you can't make more comics back. if you recycle villains every single <laughs> issue. Exactly. So, I don't know. I, um, the music, the music is great. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to link Peter to his childhood on Earth. And the, yeah. the Earth pop culture jokes. The mi- I think that's another thing that the audience really enjoyed was like the mixtape. The vibe. mix. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't get that in the other movies. That, you don't get popular culture music. That's or in the in the other Marvel movies, mm-hmm. yeah. Like the the most extent you have is Iron Man with ACDC. But then it's but just like, no one wanted that. Yeah, this soundtrack sold a lot too. Like they and they did a release on cassette and on vinyl for this because they mm-hmm. did reissues because it was thought of as such a good soundtrack because it was all this music from the 70s that is meant to evoke his childhood and meant to evoke his mother um and i think it added a certain amount of atmosphere to the movie that was missing from the other one it was a good stylistic choice i think you're right this is the first one that really felt stylistic Mm -hmm. like like you could really see the director's imprint on it because like we talk about the russo brothers and how well they did with the winter soldier what they did was proficient but it wasn't stylistic the other stylistic ones that really ring out, like, you know, Black Panther, obviously. That's yes. just an obvious one. But Captain Marvel also felt, gave me kind of the, some of these vibes with, because mm-hmm. they used a lot of the time music for that one, too. So yeah, a lot of it, it happened was, in the 90s. Yeah, because some of it was 90s pastiche, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, which is, you know, contrast to, like, the other ones, like Iron Man and Captain, where they didn't re- they didn't use, like, 2000 songs to exactly. the, the, explain it. The biggest thing they did was they had that Marvin Gaye at the end because Sam had recommended that he listen to this, the Troublemaker soundtrack, <laughs> you know? So I thought overall it worked very well. Let me talk about what didn't work because I have yeah. one 
big old glaring thing that I might be the same thing that you have. Yeah. This movie treats women terribly. This movie uses women's well, deaths as exposition. Yeah. It uses women as motivation for the male characters. And the two main female characters are pitted against each other for mm-hmm. no other good reason than their dad put them that way. <laughs> like, they're, they're, let's be clear, abusive. Yes. And kidnapper <laughs> dad, mm-hmm. you know? Like... Ugh, like, Peter's mother's death is just as motivated, which is something that has always been a problem with his character, let's be honest. But it's it's kind of gross, too, because, like, that cancer deathbed thing. And then, like, that at the climactic moment, it's like, Gamora says, take my hand, and it flashes him back to his mother on her deathbed. I just... Ooh. I mean, it emphasizes how he's still that little kid, and it, <clears throat> it does that effectively. But it feels kind of gross, because he's just... Because especially when you think about what they eventually do with Gamora, making him a love interest for her, it's just kind of ugh, weird vibes, bad vibes, not good. Um, yeah. Doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Because whenever Gamora and... I don't think Gamora and, um, and Nebula interact. Have a single scene where there's not like another guy around them. Well, I mean, there's the fight scene, but they're always talking. Not- it's always within the context of what Thanos did to them yeah. or what Ronan is doing mm-hmm. to them. So Not like, like, and, the, and like, let's be clear, the Bech, the point of the Bechdel test is that it is a barest of minimums, you know, mm-hmm. for there to be enough female characters in there. And like, obviously, I know the context, it was created by a lesbian comic to emphasize like how romance plots are just, you know, are so hetero, heterocentric, mm-hmm. you know, but like, bad, <laughs> bad. Not not good to women. Glenn Close doesn't have enough to do. She just, no, like what was the? She just like, she's there for two seconds. Figure. She's fun. I mean, that's it. Yeah, I didn't even get into like the Novacore actors. The uh, you know, John yeah, C. Your Riley, other big bad. Peter Serafinowicz, um, Glenn Close. They all they all did fine, but they didn't have enough to do. I think they could have used the Novacore a lot more. And I really wish that the MCU as a whole had explored the Novacore as like this galactic force because. That's I. I mean, I guess that's the point that they bring up later on with Captain Marvel. Is like there's stuff going on in every corner of the galaxy, and but there are other also other forces, and it shows it demonstrates. You were talking about how it's not Earth centric enough, but this also demonstrates the very Earth centric view of the MCU. That's true. Because there are other big forces in the galaxy who should be affecting things and able to work with the heroes of Earth. Yeah, they could have a whole like serialized show from this. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to do that. Oh, God, I didn't mention Yondu is something that worked, too. Yondu did. Uh, yeah, the blue guy. Peter's... Uh, his his uh, dad? Yeah, his... his <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing Peter mm-hmm. had to a father figure. He worked very well. Yeah, I think the first like few times watching this one, I was like, like he was one of my favorites just because of his like character and... Mm-hmm. His accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't do great by people of color, either. One black, the one named black character is a robot villain. The, uh, yeah. let's see, they did, uh, this is an instance of greenwashing as well, where, you know, women of color are, are great, that we love having them in our movies when we turn them green. This is something that's, ha- like, they'll play aliens, they'll play... Yeah, no one in the Nova was, like, yeah, um, PSC. And then, well, I mean... There was, like, one black Nova Corps officer, but he had, like, two lines and wasn't named. Mm-hmm. Gamora, you know, Zoe Saldana, a 
Afro-Latina woman is under green body paint the entire time. Dave Bautista, a Filipino man, is under blue body paint the entire time. Vin Diesel, a, a half-black, half-Italian man. He's a tree. He's a tree. Exactly. <laughs> so it's really white people deciding the fate of the universe is what it is. And, and like, greenwashing is a problem all over. Like, this is the point that a lot of people made have made in regards to this. The Princess and the Frog... The only reason Disney was able to make a movie with a black princess is because she was a frog the entire time. She was greenwashed. So, it's it's just a but, real okay. way to not to deny people of color the opportunities to actually represent themselves in media. Yeah, there should have been way more POC like in the. But you could argue though, like in the comic, these people like yes, like Gamora is green. <laughs> Gamora is green. It's not like they've made her green just to cover up. So why couldn't they make Star-Lord Latino? I mean, fair. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. They would have... I mean, and this is a problem that these movies have always had. Like, why was the Ancient One, who is definitely coded Asian in the comics, played by Tilda Swinton? Yeah. Sure, they can use her backstory for her to be Celtic, but... Oh, let's not talk about that movie. I don't like it. (laughs) I kind of like it. I really don't like Doctor Strange. (laughs) It's really messed up. <laughs> I like parts of Doctor Strange. I like the visual effects. As someone who likes Willow Swinton, I don't think she should have taken that job. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a money grab. And there are actors who have done the right thing and... Said no, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, the guy from... Who uh, who was in Deadpool 1, who... He got hired to play a historically Asian character in the new Hellboy movie, and he didn't know that. And once he found out, he was like, actually, I'm not going to do this role. This should have gone to an Asian actor. Or, But then you have the other side, where you've got Jim Sturgis in Cloud Atlas. Oh, no. Who, not Jim Sturgis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in He's that... such uh, a good owl. In that Blackjack movie that he made, too. <laughs> What what blackjack movie? Uh, the, the one the one where they were like counting cards. He 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 does that sometimes. Uh, let's see Emma Stone in that Cameron Crowe movie. Like, didn't she? She yelled, "I'm sorry" at the Academy Awards. That's not enough. <laughs> we can all be doing better. Every white person in Hollywood can be doing better to make sure that and create opportunities. I mean, I know that Frances McDormand wasn't. <laughs> You're right, Artemis. Yeah, Frances McDormand is great. She wasn't specifically referring to this when she was talking about the inclusion writer in her acceptance speech two years ago. She was referring to having like 50% women on the set. But there are other ways that we can make Hollywood more POC friendly. And this is, you know, some of our past guests would say to me, well, no, you can't do that within the system. You have to burn it down and work entirely outside of the system. And you know what? I agree that those are important. But... It is also important that we try and change the systems as we can. Yeah. Sure, maybe it would be better if we got rid of it. And there are a lot of film scholars who are like, film as a whole is just completely obscene and shouldn't exist. Then why do you spend all your time obsessing over it? <laughs> I personally enjoy being entertained from time yeah. to time. Yeah. But I would like to, my entertainment... Give me even, my candy. I, I would like, like to eat it. My entertainment, even when it is in a false intergalactic setting, to somewhat reflect reality. You know, you can have a talking raccoon, but you can't have a single black person that has more than two lines and doesn't die. Like, come on. End scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's what didn't work. Like in most Marvel movies. (laughs) 
But you know what was really good about this movie? What? Which I feel like they don't do in the other movies. What? Because, uh, okay, so in the other movies, everyone has their little super suit. Right. And that's it. This one, like, because of the different kinds of, like, things that they do, they had, like, their gel outfit, they had their, like, traveling outfit, mm-hmm. and then Peter has all these, like, cool, like, accessories. The dusters, though. I was trying to do a fashion corner. It was close to a fashion corner. I mean, the dusters, yes, the, the red, the Ravagers wear. I can't get over the, um, ra- like, uh, Rocket has a little tail hole in every single thing he wears. <laughs> It's so cute. He probably has to cut that in there. Like the um, the way when he he like jumps down and his tail like goes up and then oh, like yes. they did a really good job with the, the animation. Oh, I also loved like when he was sleeping, he had bed cat. Yeah, like his foot <laughs> Super cute. Yeah, no visual effects on point. Fun movie overall. And the makeup and Karen Gillan's character yes. Nebula. Yes. Oh, that one body horror moment where she's been hit with uh, a rocket and then her implants put her back into place. Uh, Love it. Live for it. Well, are you ready to rate this? I think I'm ready to rate this one. I give it a 3.75. 3.75 mixtapes? Yeah, 3.75 <laughs> mixtapes out of 5. That's what I give it. Because, you know, for the reasons that I laid out. I think it's very visually interesting, even though it's quoting other stuff a lot of the time. I think it's still fun. Yeah, yeah. I'd give it a 3.5, Baby Dancing Groots. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Oh, time mm-hmm. for an after credit scene. What? Cosmo! Oh, remember, I was very upset and thought Cosmo had gotten blown up with the... Mm-hmm. Did you even talk about her when you were like, they treat women badly? Oh, the girl who blows oh, up God, the I didn't, yeah, collection? I didn't mention Karina. Like, that exists? was what stood out to me the most when you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh. No, well, yeah, no, there exists. She's essentially a suicide bomber. Women are plot. Women are just plot. They're not characters. Uh. I'm revising down to 3.5. Um. <laughs> I'm staying in my 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. It needs to be doing better. Um, let's just, just a little little Marvel lore just, corner. Just be glad we don't have Iron Man, right? For an after credit scene, a little Marvel lore corner is that Cosmo... Eventually, because of his exposure to the uh, dead celestial and like the radiation and like organic matter that's coming off of it, uh, develops telekinetic and telepathic powers and essentially becomes the uh, warden of nowhere. So Cosmo the dog <laughs> is the guy who's in charge of nowhere and who the guardians always come and hang out with when they're on uh, when they're when they're back home and they hang out. He's the best. And who's Cos- the talking duck? Howard the duck. What does he do? He's a Marvel character who was actually a George, a very bad George Lucas movie. And he's a he's a duck who's from an alien. He's an alien from an alien planet where everyone looks like ducks, and he's a private <laughs> eye. And he actually has a pretty good Marvel comic series that was written by Chip Zdarsky uh, within the last few years. Chip Zdarsky has actually been all over a lot of my favorite characters, um, which makes sense. He got his start in Sex Criminals. He was the uh, art one of the artists. Well, he mm. was the artist and also the writer partially with Fraction for sex criminals. Um, But Cosmo in the comics is just a great character, and I wish that we had seen more of him. He deserves his own movie. The the, the point, and Cosmo just, it's implied, but just to be clear, he is a dog that the (laughs) Russian shot into space, and he is excellent. Maybe he'll show up in one of these Disney Plus series that's going to come out. I mean, I know that Guardians of the Galaxy, like, 
four is in the works. Maybe he'll show up in the I would like like an animated series. There is an animated Guardians of the Galaxy series. There is? Yeah, it was on Disney XD. Maybe we should watch it sometime. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it could be it could have been more fun in other ways. We'll see. I think I think we're done with the G's. Whoa. Yeah. So can finally move on to all our H movies, which this means, I don't know what those are. Well, next week, I'm very excited about next week, because we're going into the Coenverse. This is going to be, I think it's going to be our first Coen Brothers movie. What movie? Hmm. Well, I would tell you what movie it is, but uh, it's complicated. Would... That it were so sample. Oh, hail Caesar! Yes, Alden Ehrenreich, my boy. Oh, no. Channing Tatum, my boy. Oh, George boy. Clooney and Ray Fiennes, my man. Like, oh my god, I'm ready for this movie. I don't know if I'm ready for Actually, this movie. It's, it's fun because Thanos is in that movie too. <laughs> Josh Brolin is the main character. <laughs> this is gonna be so much fun. Oh, the leftists! I'm so excited. I am so excited. Um. Our theme music, we would like to thank Organ Machines for the use of our theme music. It is Oil Waves off of their first EP. They're good. You can check them out on the On, on Bandcamp, Spotify. Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music. They're everywhere at this point, which is what's wonderful. But if you want to buy music directly from them, I would say go to Bandcamp. We're on the Pocket Podcast Network. You can put us in your pocket. Exactly. And what's what's that? What's new on the Pocket Podcast Network? ba 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 da da what is this? What are you doing? It's football season. What was that theme supposed to be? Like Sunday night football or Monday night football or whatever it is. What? Okay. Simultaneous catch is back because the NFL is back. So they're talking football. That one just went sailing into the end zone. That's a good thing, though, right? That is a good thing. Past the end zone, perhaps. Go listen to it so you can know more about football than I do. It was a fumble. You got yellow carded. Wrong football. On purpose. (laughs) Um, And then other shows. I have really been enjoying Sorted lately. I wasn't caught up, so I binged like three episodes Um, at once. I I really like Steampunks. Yeah. They're, They're super lit. Go learn about things. Also... I think it would be fun to sort the Guardians of the Galaxy sometime. Well, actually, I think they did sort them in their Avengers Megasode. So, like... Oh, no. But we shall see. Peter Quill's a Gryffindor. I think I think that's definitive. Definitive. <laughs> Stop trying to get into Twitter, whoops. I'm sorry. It happens, like... Whenever I listen to them, I always tweet something I disagree with them. <laughs> Speaking of which, you can catch us on the Twitterverse. Yeah, home viewing pod. That's home viewing POD. I'm not going to do the thing that they do in not another D&D podcast where they sing Youth of a Nation every time. So, um... Oh, no. Yeah. Um, other shows, you know, check them out. I think we already did that. We did that. We did that. So, okay, bye. until next time, don't buy any more DVDs. Nobody looks at it that way but you We all saw drowning But you were the one with the blood on your hands Saying I never saw the one Pocket Podcast Network
Quality programming right to your pocket.